Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC pay-per-view going down at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. UFC 288, headlined by a bantamweight title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. Cejudo? Well, I mean, he, he... he he he's out there telling everybody that he he you'll never see him with the Mexican flag and he you know renounces any Mexicanness despite having carried a Mexican flag around and well who knows <laughs> has he been saying yeah. that yeah he has oh, so strange. I'm I'm, I'm going to call him Henry Sejudo from now on <laughs> so what now you're you're accusing him of being Brazilian. That's right. That's right. It's automatically <laughs> Brazilian. That's that's the only option, right? Henry Sejudo. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely gives it a, a Brazilian Portuguese flavor when you do that. Ultimate Sterling, Henry Cejudo. And a really honestly top quality bantamweight title fight that uh doesn't have like I don't, I don't think people are unexcited for it, but it's clear that this pay-per-view is not going to be a smash hit. People have been from a mile out just being like, eh, I'm not that into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just that um, it wasn't earned. Yeah, there's that. There's been nothing in, in the division to set it up at all. Like, uh, if anything, like Corey Sandhagen is a contender. Yeah, um, Sean O'Malley is kind of a contender. Yeah, I think the- uh, Henry Cejudo beat Dominic Cruz three years ago. Like, yeah, I think I think I mean to me that's it. It's, I like the fight. Yeah, I like I the fight a lot too. I, it's a I very think- enticing matchup. It's just like uh, it's it's enticing as a style matchup. As far as like a oh, I, this is the conclusion to a story I've been waiting to see concluded. No, it doesn't have that. Yeah, no, that's that that's true. There is that. I think really honestly though, um because you know, you bring like Khabib Nurmagomedov or Nurmagomedov back tomorrow to like compete for the lightweight title, that'll sell like two million pay per views. Uh yeah. You bring you know, you, you, you go and you find some retired megastar of yesterday. And you bring them right back, and they'll sell. Like combat sports has a very slow memory uh, sure. when it comes to that kind of thing. I think the real thing is that Henry Cejudo has absolutely never had any heat at all as yeah. a pay-per-view sales force, and Aljamain Sterling has less. Like, yeah. Cejudo is the A-side here, 
And this is a man whose best gimmick when he was around was that he was absolutely unwatchable outside the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I got to be honest, all of this has sort of even not knowing about the strange I renounce being Mexican thing. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, I don't know. I find I I've. The, the longer I've had to endure it, the more endearing I have found Cejudo's gimmick. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, honestly, and I, I will say, too, I think this is a bigger fight than it ever would have been at any point in the past. All the stuff about earning sure. it, I don't, I don't buy. I think Cejudo is probably a better selling fighter than he has ever been before. Maybe. Um, I, I have no idea, really, on that front. But he certainly maintained but, a, a pretty significant presence. Yeah, and his, his credibility only increased yeah, after yeah. he retired. Like, people, A, when he wasn't having to actually promote events, he dropped a lot of the just absolutely inane stupid stuff that he would say. You, you watch his little instructional breakdown videos and stuff like that, and, and he's much more normal. Yeah. And B, he sh- he's shown up as a pretty decent seeming coach. Uh, he seems to have a good mind for strategy. And, uh, you know, fighters that mm-hmm. go train with that him and his team seem like they do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not yet sure that I'm going to say, oh, he's, you know, a a long term coaching sensation, but he Could might be. very well at least be in the Dwayne Ludwig category where for a few years we're, you know, talking about him as like, oh yeah, this guy's doing things that are working for people. Who knows? It'd be kind of cool yeah. if Cejudo just became a career-long MMA coach. I mean, he is very clearly a student of the game. The dude has yeah. transformed his fighting style multiple times mm-hmm. uh, over the course of his career and been in basically every kind of fight you can have in MMA. Yeah. And uh, then, um, yeah. like I said, MMA has a slow or combat sports has a slow memory. So yeah, does that make he, him the uh, does that make him the great white hope? Is it, is <laughs> it, the, only, the only difference is that Jim Jeffries people begged Jim Jeffries to come back and beat yeah, Jack no, Johnson. Nobody begged Henry Cejudo. To yeah, come people back. definitely have a shall we say complicated feelings about Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, but um. Nobody's begging Henry Cejudo to come and save them, no matter how much Mexicanness he renounces. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that that was the ultimate uh, initial proof of that, though. Jim Jeffrey was was like five years retired mm-hmm. when they like dragged his old ass out of retirement uh, to make him fight uh, Jack Johnson. People really do, you know. They think that they think that time makes fans forget, and it makes people like, no. oh. You got to be active you got to be in the middle of your prime you got to have all this stuff to be a big selling star and then you actually look at when boxers and mma fighters do all their best selling yeah and it is almost exclusively late in their career past the point when it would make sense oh yeah to do so anymore look at jorge masvidal i mean the dude still sells pay-per-views conor mcgregor is going to sell more than a million pay-per-views his, his his second highest selling mma paper his first highest selling was Habib, right? Because it was a huge, you know, amount of interest in that fight. His second highest was his last fight against Dustin Poirier. Yeah, you know, it 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 was not mm-hmm. any of it was not his Nate Diaz fight. It was not, you know, mm-hmm. 
it was dust. It was a second fight against Dustin Poirier, a fight the first time it got made. People were just like, "What? Why this?" You know, yeah. why a Dustin Poirier rematch? I guess sure, but you know, and uh, for GSP Anderson Silva, like their biggest pay per views were way late in their career. For Anderson Silva, it was the Chris Weidman rematch. Mm-hmm. For GSP, I'm pretty sure it was. If if it wasn't, he this, sold pretty high against like Nick Diaz. Yeah, it was Nick Diaz. It was Nick Diaz. Probably right. I th- I think it was. That Nick was a Diaz. pretty a pretty successful event, even though like it was a pretty damn easy fight to pick. Yeah, and it was late in both their careers. Like it is, and if GSP came back tomorrow, he would be a big seller. You know. Yeah, no doubt. Um. So anyway, once you reach a certain critical mass of popularity and resonance then time has shockingly little effect to like diminish your popularity yeah in fact i think i, I think if you're probably in, for somebody like conor mcgregor he's yeah. more than best off fighting once every couple of years it yeah. gives people enough time to forget how he looked last <laughs> yeah and think oh maybe he's gotten better right yeah, if Sean O'Malley dropped off the earth for three years, he's not selling massive pay-per-views. Like, that man is still cultivating his popularity. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, w- certainly with, with established stars, uh, yeah, you can come back, like, a decade later. People are like, oh, I can't I can't wait, even though, like, we know how that tends to go. Mm-hmm. In, in combat sports, age is not kind to fighters. Yeah. Um, ring rust is not kind to fighters. I mean, these are... Uh, I don't think we ever saw Henry Cejudo even starting to get old Mm-mm. in the cage, but these are definitely some tertiary concerns for this matchup is the man has been out for three years. Mm-hmm. He's 36 years old. He's clearly been active in training uh, and thinking about MMA and combat sports that whole time. But um, yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, it's, somebody it, did. Somebody ran the numbers and I think title... Title title fight fighters over the age of thirty five, under one hundred and seventy pounds, at one hundred and seventy pounds and under, they're like six and thirty all time in the UFC or something. Over what age? Over the age of thirty five. Yeah, that's how it tends to go. It's that way in boxing too. Yeah, uh, most, heavyweights most just fighters. get old, and young fighters. For whatever reason, don't I think speed matters more? I think you yeah. you genuinely take more punishment because, mm-hmm. uh, as we know, it's not like how many times you've been knocked out necessarily for head trauma. It is the frequency of uh, shots to the head. At least that is one prevailing theory. And mm-hmm. little fighters throw a lot more and get hit a lot more. Um, so yeah, that tends to be how it goes. Can you hear that construction outside? By the way, nope. Not even okay. Really. Okay. Great. They appear to have broken out uh, some sort of giant saw that cuts through concrete. So, all right. It'll only be distracting me. <laughs> so let, let's jump into this Henry Cejudo Aljamain Sterling fight, in which age seems like it could easily be a prominent factor. Ring rust seems like it could easily be a prominent factor. Mm-hmm. But we don't know, and otherwise. It feels like Henry Cejudo should be a very difficult fight for Aljamain Sterling. It does, which has me nervous. Yeah, right? Because how many Aljamain Sterling fights have you had that feeling about? 
Mm-hmm. Pretty right. much all of them. Pretty much all of them. <laughs> right. When Except was the maybe, last time I didn't think it was going to be a difficult fight for Aljamain Sterling? Uh, I think Corey Sandhagen, we, we saw how it could be difficult, but I'm pretty sure we both picked him basically yeah. because we expected him to rush Corey and get a good position quickly, which he yeah. did. Yeah, that might have been it. Otherwise... Thought Munoz was a tough fight. I think I thought Rivera was a tough fight. Certainly thought Piotrion was a tough fight, which he was yeah. once. You'd have to go back to like Cody Stamen, I think, for me to just be like, oh yeah, no, Cody, you've right. got this in the bag. Yep. And um, as much as there are sort of some asterisks attached to the last two wins Sterling has gotten, I mean, there's a massive the the, the last win he got is literally just an asterisk. Uh, because TJ Dillashaw was yeah. either, either the victim or the benefactor of some kind of crime. Dillashaw um, is, I mean, he really, you can see how that guy could have, you, you can see why that guy was such a willing cheat because he clearly yeah. had like no compunction whatsoever about yeah. screwing no moral entirely over for everyone else just for his own personal gain. Yeah. He has no moral compass. That that yeah. much is clear. <laughs> oh, man, maybe Uriah Faber was right. I can't believe it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I think probably it's one of these things where everyone's kind of an asshole. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a pattern of behavior for TJ. Piotr Jan. Did you did you see that uh, James Krause uh, Bryce Mitchell story that's floating around? No, what's that? Oh my God, you have to find, there's a video out there because Bryce Mitchell just dropped out of his last yeah. fight because he's got ringworm. Uh, and somebody posted a story James Krause told about Bryce Mitchell a video on video where they were all hanging out in a hotel together and Bryce Mitchell disappeared, went into uh Krause's bedroom to have a phone call with his girlfriend. Krause comes in an hour later and Mitchell is just asleep in his bed. <laughs> and he goes, he's like, what, what are you doing, dude? And Mitchell was like, oh, my girlfriend started talking to me. And so I rubbed one out really quick. Oh, my God. And he done it in the bathroom and just, you know, gotten gotten it everywhere why would you oh my and god then james Kraft had loaned him a pair of socks that he was wearing and to clean it up he just waded through it and rubbed it into the floor with his socks it's a hotel there's towels and the then he hotels are famous for having an abundance of towels and then he didn't take the socks off <laughs> and <laughs> just sleep in in Krause's bed and so then they all went out to the UFC card that they were all there for, and he wore the socks to the to the event as well. Oh my God, that this is actually why James Krause started uh, like fixing, yeah, uh, fixing fights. He's like, I cannot be around like, these people forever. I have to get out. I have to yeah, get exactly. rich and gambling, get out. <laughs> gambling is so much more dignified. Being a gambling couch is <laughs> dignified than, my, than the life that has led me here. Yeah. He's like, I got to cash out as quickly as possible. My, my point is that is a story where both, you know, not only is one guy just absolutely an insane weirdo, but the person telling it is also not to be trusted. 
And uh, that brings us right back to Sir Sterling Cejudo. Which, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so anyway, what was, what was I saying? Oh, right. Asterisks. The Piotr fight, the last one, I mean, there's less of an asterisk there. Certainly, it hasn't aged as well as you would have expected because Piotr <laughs> has been on a horrible losing streak, a demoralizing yeah. losing streak. We're, we're starting uh, to find out that he actually does have a struggle against rangy fighters who will just keep something in his face because he always has to be walking on to get himself into range for things. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he we've, what we found out is that he has a struggle against um, anyone who just, like, will overwhelm him with any kind of information because he yeah. always starts slow and works his way into the fight. Uh, but, you know, I, I still think Aljo needs to get a lot of credit for a brilliant performance. Yeah. Absolutely. Jan is um, still uh, not at all a bad fighter. Oh, oh, absolutely not. It's a huge win. And especially after their first fight, which I will always insist on pointing out, had Aljo not clearly succumbed to the pressure and like gassed harder than ever before, mm -hmm. was a fight in which he was not doing poorly. Yeah. Uh, through two rounds, he got dropped. Yeah, he but he early, yeah. He was definitely doing a lot to overwhelm and outwork Piotrion throughout those rounds. It was a good approach. He just couldn't sustain it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's some asterisks there. But then Henry Cejudo, the age, the absence. Uh, I think Dominic Cruz is a win that has aged better than you might have expected, even though Dominic Cruz keeps losing. He doesn't look bad. Yeah, no, he has, in fact, been a reasonably high-level fighter, maybe not top five, but top 15. Yeah, for sure. And um, But it's not as good as... I mean, Aljamain Sterling's win streak is actually pretty unbelievably great when you sit down to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, the dude's... He crushed Corey Sandhagen. He went to war with Pedro Munoz and beat him on the feet. Two wins technically against Pyotrion and, the, and then, you know, the Dillashaw one. The, the, the later names but, are the only ones that make it more difficult I mean, to evaluate how good you he can is. You can go all the way back to Brett Johns. And, yeah, yeah. You know, John Stamen and Rivera are all very, very good, very solid fighters. Absolutely. Those are like three wins that like any bantamweight at that time should have had to get to get to the yeah. title picture and he got them all cleanly. Uh -huh. So that's the difficulty here is that there have been a lot of fights where I have felt like, oh, Aljo's not going to be able to, like, out-wrestle this guy very easily. Yeah. Um, you know, what's gonna he going to do? He's on his back foot, circling away, kicking a bunch, being uncomfortable in the pocket. Yeah. And the yeah. truth is that Aljo tends to game plan very well. Yeah. And he tends to start really strong. That comes with the fact that he also tends to fade and kind of have to play for survival later in these five-round fights. But he tends to come in very well prepared with basically the same game that he's had since um, – what was the loss that convinced him he needed to learn to box? Oh, it was Rafael Asuncao. Asuncao, yeah. He's yeah. basically had the same game he's had since then in all these fights with small little adjustments. But – um he makes the correct little adjustments to his, to his toolkit to outfox a lot of people who look like dangerous and very difficult matchups for him. And Phil pointed this out. I think a very good point 
all these guys that we look at that we think of as really tough matchups are basically like, oh, this guy's tireless and um, he's a great wrestler and he's very difficult to out wrestle. Aljamain Sterling, as Phil pointed out, literally fights that dude in the gym every day. It's true. It's Murab Dewalishwili. Yep. So maybe it's no wonder that he has figured out a lot of ways to actually kind of flummox this general type of fighter. And I mean, maybe that, that standing back take game, when you really think about it, yeah, is such a perfect answer to facing a strong wrestler, to being like, oh, okay, I can't. I when we clinch up, I can never take you to the mat. What if I just, you know, work on work on entries that get me to a point of control without having to take you to the mat. Yeah. And maybe um, uh, another point that, that Phil made, which I think kind of holds water is like, maybe there's more to Marab Duelish Willie's obvious, like respect and admiration for Sterling than just their friendship and loyalty. Mm-hmm. Like probably Aljamain Sterling gets the better of him in the gym. That seems pretty likely to me, actually, that he's like, I'm not going to, uh, I know I've been getting amazing wins, but like, no, I'm not going to like pretend to challenge Aljo because he's good. I know he's good. <laughs> we yeah. train all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I honestly, the more I have thought about this and the more I have thought as much as it, it feels like yet another one of these matchups where I don't see a clear, easy path to victory for Aljamain Sterling. I'm not entirely sure how I would pick Henry Cejudo to beat him simply by being very difficult to wrestle other than like maybe knocking him out. Yeah. I mean, what we've seen from Cejudo more and more lately is a pressure counter puncher. Yes. He wants to wade in, get in your face, make you make the first move and then react to it. Yeah. But, but Sterling is, he's pretty difficult to like run over with pressure. Mm-hmm. He's, he's definitely made himself entirely comfortable being on his bike. Yeah. Um, he, he maintains a pretty solid stance. He does overcommit when he throws and when he moves, but um, he has for a long time actually been quite good at linking those different positions together. So maybe he'll like over duck getting under a punch and then over swing his head to the other side, rolling under the next shot. But all of these movements are connected together. He's not like an easy stationary target. And um, his striking style is like extremely jab centric. Uh He really, really uses his reach very well. Uh, That is how he beat up Pedro Munoz. And um, so, yeah, the more I think about it, the more it looks like potentially an equally difficult fight for Cejudo. And his edges are really that he's more or less impossible to out wrestle at least as far as we've seen. He hasn't faced uh-huh. a ton of guys who've tried to take him down, but Demetrius Johnson's a great wrestler, and uh, their wrestling exchanges were largely one-sided in their rematch. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like he is going to spend a lot of time at Aljo's range. Uh, if he tries to kick Aljo, as he did against the last long mobile guy he fought in Dominic Cruz then Sterling is actually very good at catching kicks. He caught Piotr Jan. A few of his takedowns were off of, co- off of caught kicks. Um, and if that's his range weapon, then otherwise he is going to have to spend a lot of time at Aljo's range against, a frankly, a much higher volume opponent than he is used to fighting. Yeah. Um, 
and Aljo, as we know, as we saw against Piotr Jan, um, and as you just pointed out, probably in his gym battles with Duelish Willie, is not a guy who necessarily needs to out-wrestle you to sneak his way into a dominant grappling position. Yeah. He just, you know, any kind of entanglement, he has a lot of ways of getting to somebody's back and controlling them for the round, if not uh, actually threatening a finish. So, uh, I, yeah, the, just I just keep, like, leaning more towards Aljo, and maybe it's just the classic pattern of, like, I keep doubting the guy until the point when I actually should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, okay, I believe you now, and then he loses. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, lay out, if you can, what you think Henry Cejudo does to beat Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, I mean, if the big thing that would otherwise be on Henry Cejudo's style, or side, rather. Henry Again. Cejudo's side. I know. Cejudo. I, Cejudo, I don't know. It's the, it's the Brazilian thing. They do. They make you seem like an idiot to any Americans with experience with uh, Spanish. Yeah. You go up to them and you're like, yeah, I know this guy, Jose. And they're like... It's Jose, dumbass. What do you, what do you, everybody knows that. Like, no, he's an MMA guy. He's Brazilian. Anyway, the Brazilians, once again, have ruined us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the thing with the, with, that is probably big on Henry Cejudo's side here is just raw speed. Yes. More so than, Jan is not a slow puncher by any means. He's not a slow fighter. No. But he is much more of a, uh, you know, plant and study kind of fighter. He's he's looking to yeah, really sit down on things, land hard when he sits down. He can be maneuvered away from. Cejudo will be the fastest dude Sterling has fought since Marlon Moraes. Yeah. And that combined, you know, the problem is always for, for Sterling, at least the way he, he has fought in the past and the way I expect him to fight here. He will get backed up to the cage and have to fight off the fence. He, he, he doesn't mind it. He doesn't mind being on his back foot and he doesn't mind being on his bike. But he was pretty much a guarantee to give up that positioning uh, because he doesn't mind it. But that doesn't make it, that doesn't make it like he's pretty difficult to actually like collapse against the fence though. He'll be on the back foot, but yeah, I I think it's harder to put him in that position than it was, for example, an old dominant cruise. Sure. Ultimately kept getting more and more squished into the corner. Dom has, you know, he's got his, Footwork, nobody does footwork like Dominic Cruz kind of thing. Yeah. But there's also a lot of, oh, I need to be able to take five steps backward to yeah. take three steps forward to yeah. Dominic Cruz. He, his footwork thrives in wide open space. It's not just a like, oh, I'm going to circle around the cage here and just cut an angle and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know. It's I'm going to faint six angles to cut one kind of thing. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I, I do agree. It's not as much a pro, you know, it won't be as big a deal as it was against Cruz where C- Cejudo could just 
once you got him against the cage, then it suddenly became like, oh, Dom doesn't really have an easy way to escape here now because mm-hmm. he can't he can't move back anymore. Um, but it, I mean, it is still just a pressure fighter getting the getting the ability to pressure. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily getting the ability to trap all the time, but getting the ability to pressure. And unlike Jan, Cejudo is not a... There is no warm-up or, like, slow figuring out for him, you know? I think he's one of those fighters that just comes in with a single mindset and a single game plan, and they want to start pulling the trigger on it as fast as they can. Yeah, Cejudo has always had a pretty terrifying willingness to like put himself in extremely risky positions mm-hmm. to, to start threatening his opponent. Like <clears throat> right from the jump against Dominic Cruz, it was notable how uh, like, you saw right, right from the get go. He wanted to do the low kicking plan mm-hmm. and he put himself in some like weird scrambles. He got countered. He got his foot caught a few times. He just didn't care. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm athletic enough to to have to survive and 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 win a lot of these weird incidental scrambles and exchanges, and he's absolutely happy to rely on his chin. Um, yeah, he, he can be a pretty scarily committed fighter. Mm-hmm. And then at that point too, you, you know, if we maybe very foolishly are assuming that Aljamain Sterling is not going to get a lot of control time out of this fight. That Cejudo will be hard to control, hard to hold down, hard to uh, wrap up. Then, you know, for me, you kind of got to ask, like, who's going to be landing the bigger shots? Who's going to be landing the better strikes? And that would feel like Henry Cejudo to me. Because, what you know, we talk about how Sterling's resume really holds up, but it also, you know, looking at, like, Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera for the last times, it held up without Sterling getting to do a bunch of wrestling that he wanted to do. Yeah. And yeah, that makes that makes it, it uh, you know, that those are the big questions that you have to raise here about Sterling. It's like, yeah, but these are both fights where he like massively outworked those two fighters. It's true. It's true. Um, they're just, you know, Rivera is a fighter who in that in that fight and in other fights can and will just fall off a volume cliff. Yeah. And Munoz is a fighter who, as we've seen over time, is getting less bullish and is also just always been a sort of follow you and square up kind of fighter. I mean, I think that was the last really bullish Pedro Munoz fight. Yeah. Literally yeah, right after fair. that was his tepid fight with Frankie Edgar, mm-hmm. where he was trying to be a better boxer. I think. Aljamain Sterling was the last time we saw classic oh, yeah. Munoz, but but for all the aggression, uh, he certainly is not as fast as Henry Cejudo, not even close. No. 
So I think I'm going to lean Henry Cejudo here. I'm I'm going to take the the age flyer. I'm going to take the time off flyer. I'll, I'm going to I'm going to bank on Eddie with this because he uh, when we've been doing the sixth round, Eddie Mercado, he's been getting in my ear for the past couple of months and being like, Cejudo's going to win, man. I can just feel it in my gut. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, then there's also just the fact that when I've been trying to be a little more thoughty about who I'm going to pick these last few weeks, man, it failed. Thoughty. Yeah. Well, you saying know. I never knew you were so. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? All my uh-huh. thoughts. All my thoughts. You are, are a thought. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with Alderman Sterling. I mean, I think if I assume ring rust to be a, stra- a factor at all, all I know is Alderman Sterling always starts. Cejudo might start hot. So does Alderman Sterling. Oh, yeah. Uh, He usually has a clear game plan and tries to jump on it immediately. I think he is underrated uh, for his toughness and resilience. Um, He's a very high output striker. He hits the body. He's got some good weapons to test short guys who try to come in low or change levels on him. He's got the knees. He's got the uppercuts. And... um, Henry Cejudo may be difficult to out-wrestle, but so is Sterling, and he is potentially like more dangerous in any of those grappling situations, um, even, again, if he is not getting a takedown. Yeah, it is. If Sterling can start backpacking Cejudo, then yeah, we are in for a wild fight. For me, the, for me, the real concerns for Sterling are uh, getting caught randomly like he did against Marlon Moraes, mm-hmm. which... Frankly, it does look almost identical to Cejudo's knockout of Dominic Cruz. Yeah. Um, or doing a lot of good work early and then getting tired and Cejudo taking over late, which I could also I mean, I could also just see like if Sterling can't get like I say, if he can't get the control, then he starts hot. He starts fast. He's landing a bunch. He's doing a bunch of good work and he just gets caught a couple of big a few times, you know, yeah. he, he gets, he's the one that gets cracked a couple times around. You get a downward spiral. Water, even, but even as he wins the volume battle and you just like, yeah, I guess I'm giving Cejudo that round more damage, you know, cleaner. Yeah. Strength. And I think the concern with that too, is that that's what happened the first time around against Jan again, yeah. a very good start by Sterling and good maintaining, maintained that start. Even after the first time he got dropped, did a lot of good work, but it's he started to spiral his normal yeah. predilection to gas and have his output wane later in the fight was like compounded by the fact that Yam was just hurting him worse and worse the longer it went on. And he just, you know, from from 60 to zero slammed on the brakes and uh, and fell apart. So, yeah, that that could happen, too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see. But I, but I, I really do think a lot of people are going to be. Uh, as ever, like underrating Aljamain Sterling's chances here. The guy is actually a pretty good fighter. Um, so I, I think it's a very compelling matchup. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I don't actually have a problem with this pay-per-view card. It's just kind of a shame that like, yeah, it, the, that the two main event fighters don't, attra- they, they don't tr- attract more parishioners, you know? Yeah. Odds on the bout. Cejudo, it is, we are dead even. Uh, Cejudo opened at minus 111 and is still right there. And Sterling opened at minus 115 and is still right there. Very little movement on the lines. 
absolutely neck and neck. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout, and honestly, kind of another hard fight to call. Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. Mm-hmm. And this is a fight made much more difficult to me after Burns' last performance. Which yeah, I'm with you. That fight over Jorge, uh, with, against Jorge Masvidal, it was just not good. Yeah. Burns looked really flat for most of it. And it didn't even seem to be like a gas tank issue or anything like that because he stepped it up in the third round. Yeah. And started putting it on Masvidal. But it took two whole rounds to get there. And Muhammad is the kind of fighter that you don't want, like, your first round against Bilal Muhammad is your moment to set the tone with him. Yes. If you're taking multiple rounds to get to set the tone with Bilal Muhammad, he is going to be building momentum at a much quicker pace than you are. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a smart dude. He fights smart. He always has a good game plan for everyone. And, um, you know, the, the people that have beat him are tend to be people who can just clearly overpower him from the jump. You know, Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque, that wild fight with Alan Joban, his, you know, in his first fight in the UFC, which was, you know, just sort of a introduction to what Bilal Muhammad would try to become <laughs> and do as time went on. But, and then Leon Edwards, who went out mm-hmm. there and just cracked him early. You've never seen, and we have yet to see, Bilal Muhammad lose a fight because he gets taken down too much. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, part of that is because he has been matched up against precious few wrestlers. I think we talked about this Maybe prior to his fight with Sean Brady. Yeah. We, we were forced to look back and be like, wait a minute. Is the best wrestler he's ever fought chance or encounter? Well, Damian Maya, but old. Yeah, Damian. but uh, uh, Damian Maya, yeah, that, that version of Damian Maya was not much of a wrestling threat. Um, but then, yeah. you know, uh, against Sean Brady, there's still a bit of an asterisk because I think by the time Brady started shooting, he was in dire straits already. Yeah, but uh, he did effortlessly stuff all of Brady. Optically, Bal Muhammad looks like a really solid defensive wrestler. And if we get, if we're looking back at Gilbert Burns' latest fight, then you're also looking at a fight where it took a long time for Gilbert Burns to get into the you know the kind of rhythm of yeah of the fight he should be having, and he didn't exi- like. For a very shop-worn Jorge Masvidal, he didn't exactly go down, go out there and just like hold Masvidal down with ease. No, you know, it it was just not a. Uh, no, I, I I kind of I think there's reason to think the wrestling here is kind of a wash. Yeah, and if the wrestling is kind of a wash, then you know Gilbert Burns has the power edge, clearly, mm-hmm. but. He's also he is much more likely to destruct under pressure. Yeah, Burns is much more of a fighter who, you know, we we talked about this with uh, his training under Hooft and all that, and the long road he's kind of taken on that. That uh, 
there's always been a little bit of a feeling like Burns is picking out the combination he wants to, to throw from about five feet away from his opponent. Yeah. And then just stepping in and deciding to throw it. Mm-hmm. And he's gotten a little better at that over time, but that's still very much feels it feels like a place he can be pushed to really quickly. Like he started out and he was doing great against Kamaru Usman, but as Usman started to like time his jab better and shift up his stance and, you know, make, make little reads on, on Burns. The moment he started to hurt Burns, the wheels were just totally gone. It -hmm. was just suddenly like, Oh, Oh, now I have to make big dramatic attempts to do something because I don't have a, an easy way to make a little adjustment. And I got to pick Bilal Muhammad in that kind of fight. Yeah, this feels like one where we are really, uh, us in particular, Phil too, we all like Bilal. I mean, sure, yeah. got to respect the guy who, uh, who just wins by being better prepared mm-hmm. than his opponents, who, who has a a really well-rounded game and banks on that in the best way possible by just like selecting which parts uh, are going to get strapped onto the right pressure or evasive strategy or whatever, a very adaptable fighter. Mm -hmm. Um, But this also feels like one where it it just feels very likely that there's just going to be a massive physical golf. I'm going to pick the wall too, but that is my concern. It's just that like, yeah, the other thing in common with all those guys who beat Bilal Muhammad is they're all just like really top flight athletes. This is true. Um, yeah. Leon Edwards, Jeff Neal, um, Luke, not so much, but then look what happened to Luke the second time around. Bilal completely outfoxed him. Yep. Um, Alan Joban, great athlete. Like these are all fast, explosive, hard hitting fighters that Bilal, all of your game plan just doesn't matter because they just ruin you when they hit you. Um, and there is also the fact that Gilbert Burns is a big low kicker. Mm, yeah. Which that's... Bilal has weathered really well in the past, but also gets hit by a lot of low kicks. I, I think the really curious, uh, the, the, the really big question to me is who's going to get to pressure in this fight. If I had to guess what Bilal's game plan would be against a, power punching guy who needs to like set up and download the combination before launching it at you. Um, but it's kind of uncomfortable under fire. I I would think that Bilal is going to try to pressure Gilbert Burns. Yeah. And it's, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I, I would say that probably the worst fights Gilbert Burns has had is when he yeah. can be put on his back foot. Yeah. And I, I'm going to pick him to do that. I mean, I think when yeah. Bilal does get a game plan in his head, he sticks to it. He's extremely difficult to deter. At the very least, that probably leads to a lot of exchanges early where both guys are just refusing to back up. And we kind of meet in the open. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think this is one of those fights where it's, a, it's actually a, a genuine advantage for Bilal that his striking is so jab-centric uh, that he's not fighting a southpaw, too, is, as we know, a significant factor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to get through Gilbert, like Gilbert is a, uh, a, a catch and counter kind of fighter who will just feel something connect on his guard. And that triggers like a huge committed flurry of hooks, uh, maybe with a low kick at the end. 
And uh, the way to get around guys who overload their counters like that is to hit them with the little stinging shots that they don't expect and don't see coming. That means the jab. Yep. I think that's a great wedge to kind of to force into the first cracks you see that will allow Bilal Muhammad to continue pressuring. And uh, it's likely to be a rough first round for him. That's mm. how it goes. You know, the, even there is a big X factor here that I had forgotten about until what's that? looking at again is Muhammad claims as of a couple weeks ago that he was basically just coming off his, the couch to fight Gilbert Burns and that he, you know, and he tried to get the fight made 180 pounds to that end. And it is instead, it is at still at 170 pounds and it's five, five minute rounds. So this is a five rounder. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it, it's two top contenders and that was what would get them to both to agree to the fight. Since when do we, I mean, I, I've always been in favor of contenders yeah, tight title this, eliminators this, this being five first, rounds. This but. is the first. Fi- this is the first time lately. I think it's happened. Nick Diaz got yeah. it, uh, yeah. and, and Nick Diaz might have gotten it too. They, I think, actually, I think Nate might have it written into his contract that he only fights in five round fights hmm. anymore. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, but that that is a factor. There's also, but like, who do you trust over five rounds? Yeah, I trust. Provided the weight the weight cut went pretty well or whatever, like it feels that feels like a probably better for Bilal than for Gilbert. It, it is. It's just that X factor of yeah, yeah. That's how was he when he jumped in to take this fight? I yeah. got, think Bilal Muhammad's the kind of guy who's never that far out of shape. So. Can we I'm just gonna... say, I mean, this is one of many, many other factors indicating that the real truth of this matchup, which is that it sucks, <laughs> that like either one of these dudes should be fighting the champion. Sure. <laughs> Am I crazy? Like, yeah, yeah. No, you're not crazy. Just... That that just makes me more depressed about it. That Bilal Muhammad, like they coerced him to get off the goddamn couch and accept a fight on pretty short notice mm-hmm. to risk his really impressive nine fight unbeaten streak. Evan, for our uh, uh, for Bloody Elbow, uh, one of our recent hires who's been doing a lot of good editorial work. He wrote who? A... Who? This is how I'm going to be with all the new yeah. old people. But, Who? Uh, Never heard of him. He wrote a really good op-ed that did really well for us about how, like, Burns and Muhammad were basically making a huge mistake depending on Dana White's largesse to... Oh, absolutely. ...to be like, oh, if I win this, I'll get a title shot. Yeah, I'll take this fight on short notice as the man that should be the de facto number one contender. Oh, yeah. You should never, ever rely on Dana White's largesse. Yeah. So. He's, a, he's a self-serving little prick. Um, yeah, no, I, I really do, from a promotional perspective, I do hate this matchup. Like, they are just wiping out one of two. Yeah. Um, one of two certain, guys they have no interest in putting in a title fight. Yeah, both of whom but, have unquestionably earned it. Yeah. Muhammad is at plus one, opened at plus 126, and that line has not changed a lot so far. Not a lot of uh, change in, in the... Uh, in the lines in for this card, although we're just two fights in. Burns opened at minus one thirty and is currently at minus one twenty. So very close tight line. Burns a slight favorite. And uh I get it, but I you know, that 
Neil Magny was made for Burns to run over, and so was Jorge Masvidal. And Burns did not. That that Masvidal fight was not pretty. You know, it was not. Not an inspiring show. Yeah. All right, that that takes us to a woman's strawweight bout: Jessica Andrade, Yan Zhaonan, and uh, yeah, this is this is an okay booking. I'm still mm-hmm. not really sure what Andrade is doing with her career at this point, but she's she's finding she's finding ways to float around. Um, yeah, and I think it is that kind of matchup. What's Andrade mm-hmm. doing? I think that's the question being asked. Like, she took that fight on short notice against Blanchfield. Seemed like uh, a big step up for Blanchfield. Um, but Blanchfield just, like, hit her with jabs. Yeah. Every time she tried to do anything, she was like, what about straight punches? <laughs> what if every time you throw, I also throw in that punches are straight? And, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good one-size-fits-all strategy for a lot of fights, to be honest. The straight punch is the the get-the-hell-off-me punch. Um, And uh, she did that really well. Um, That being said, it did look like Andrade was a bit rusty and ill-prepared. It did look like she was getting more comfortable as the fight went on. And um, what uh, what really sold her out in that fight was the fact that she's just not and never has been a particularly good technical grappler. Yeah. Like, that was the real death knell. Um, I think she probably could have found something that would work for her on the feet and was on her way to doing it. And it's just the fact that, like, Blanchfield stayed aggressive. She built on the success she'd had, immediately hit a take, uh, hit, a, hit the first takedown she could, mm-hmm. and immediately turned it into a submission very quickly. Yep. And yeah, that's just a thing that happens to Andrade. Anytime somebody's actually strong enough or technical enough to get her down, you kind of see that, oh, she's just used to like horsing people around. She's yeah. not a, she's not a particularly good grappler or wrestler, which mm. we have noted many times before. Any fight where we pick her to out wrestle somebody, it's just because she's gonna be stronger than them and she's gonna yank them off their feet. Yeah, that's very true. Um and so this does look like a question asking fight. It also looks like another one where I'm like, um, is it Jessica Andrade just like clearly the more powerful yeah. fighter here, like by a huge margin? Yeah. Somebody who got recently dominated physically by Carla Esparza. Yeah. In Yan Nan. Granted, Carla Esparza, a much better technical, technical wrestler. Much better technical wrestler. And Jonan did beat Claudia Gedelia. Yeah. But uh, Gedelia's one of she, her career, like she just hit a wall in her career, a mental wall. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Um, I still don't, I think it would be unwise to completely write uh, Jan off here. Yeah. I mean, she's a very crafty fighter. And she, um, she's one of those fighters too who will just fill all space. Exactly. Yeah. She's pretty difficult to look good against Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're Carla Esparza and you are just dominating her with like a specialized skill, which Andrade doesn't really have. She specializes in physicality. Um, And so, yeah, I think Jan is going to get a lot of time to yeah put out a bunch of weird kicks to put out a ton of jabs. Um, She's okay in the clinch. 
she's not like Joanna and Jacek, but she's she, she finds some good knees, uh-huh. um, and doesn't tend to hang out in the clinch too long, um, unless she is forced to. But um, she also uh, against most people, I think you can kind of you can kind of just get away with putting yourself in risky positions, like most. Most uh, athletes in this division, Jan can throw like a bunch of awkward front kicks and not have to be too worried about what might come back at her. Yeah. And that's not really the case against Andrade. Like she does have a rare sort of power for these women's weight classes that sort of breaks the rules uh, that people learn to follow in a lot of their other fights. Um, But that being said, like if you're not particularly good at pressuring, like I, I, I thought Jan beat Marina Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was super close. It wasn't like a robbery, but um, like she followed her around a lot, and Jan just stayed busy and stayed on her bike, and she countered um, quite well and found the left hook a lot. And um, I, I think it would be a mistake to just assume that um, Andrade is going to win purely because she has obvious physical advantages. She can be a pretty thoughtless fighter. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as you said, Jan is very busy. She fills all the space. She's pretty crafty, and she does pick up patterns as the fight goes on. So it's an interesting matchup. Yeah, I'm not against it. It's it's a solid one. It's just also, mm-hmm. you know, like watching watching what has brought Jean on her success over her career has tended to be people who can't make her pay for how busy she's being. Yeah. And who can't, they, they either don't have the physicality to slow her down or they don't have the, uh, the willpower to match her volume, which I think is really just Delia is the only outlier in that. Yeah. Um, where she had the power and just, she was the one fighter where it was just like, yeah, she doesn't really like seem to like fighting anymore at this point. Um, otherwise, you know, otherwise, yeah, you kind of got to look at like what happened with Mackenzie Dern. It was that was a I I survived Dern's assaults and her attempts to drag me to the mat, and then she just couldn't keep up, and mm-hmm. she didn't. You know, Dern is a great grappling athlete, but she's still one of the most unnatural standing fighters in the cage. And that, yeah, it just doesn't feel to me like banking on Jan to find those kinds of gaps against Andrade is smart being like, Mm -hmm. Oh, Andrade is going to take, try to take me down. And if I can stuff that, then she'll gas out. That's, you know, that doesn't really happen with Andrade. She doesn't gas out. And it also doesn't really happen with Andrade that you can just beat her in a volume foot race where you throw a lot of stuff and she can't keep up. That happened against with Joanna Janjacek. Yeah. And otherwise, you know, Rose now Yunus got a split in a very close fight. Yeah, and Rose is, in addition to having that reach, is compared to Joanna, certainly compared to Jan, really powerful. Mm-hmm. and a sharp striker that's a different uh she's she's more like a sean o'malley's kind of striking that's a different kind of uh yeah. threat to have at that with that reach yeah 
And so, yeah, those just it, it's just not a recipe that I see Jan bringing. Where... Yeah, I can see Jan replicating a lot of the Joanna game plan with some success, but I don't think she's Joanna. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Pretty much. So I, I got to take Andrade here. Uh, odds on the bout, Andrade is a solid favorite. Not spectacular, but solid. Opened at about minus 180 and is currently riding around uh, between minus 175 and 200, depending on your book. And Jaunan opened at plus 145 and is currently at about plus 160. So... Odds getting a little wider there between them. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Mosar Yuvloev against Diego Lopez. And um This is a bummer. Yeah, Lopez looks all right. He's got a bunch of experience. He's been around for a while. He's a uh pretty fun sort of brawling scrambler who yeah. will just step in with big power shots, get into the pocket, force exchanges, and if he can end up on top, we'll do some serious damage on top. He got instantaneously taken down by Joe Anderson Brito. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the stepping into the pocket to brawl is always going to be takedown fodder. It's just not the way to beat Mavsar of Love. I mean, the, the reason yeah. it's a bummer is not because Diego Lopez is like undeserving to be in the UFC or whatever. It's because no, it's no. Supposed, this was supposed to be... Uh, Ivloa versus Mitchell. Yes. Which is a very interesting fight. Very Before interesting. Mitchell decided to try and treat his ringworm with farm animal medicine. <laughs> Honestly, that's probably one case where farm animal medicine actually would have worked. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, 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 there's a picture of him in a hot tub, like, covered with this, like, purple powder. And people are like, oh, that's ring out. You use that for cows. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> does he have cows? Pro, pro, you know what? He might. Or he probably just lives in the country and he just went I, yeah. to the farm supply store. Yeah, that's my guess. I, I, I don't think Mitchell is the kind of person I would trust with responsible animal husband raising, you know? Yeah. You never know, you know? It's true. It's true. Maybe, maybe Mitchell's like Mike Tyson, but with chickens. Like, he just loves his chickens and he takes... That's Didn't where Mike like Mike Tyson kill a tiger. Well, Mike Tyson loved his pigeons, is what I'm saying. Okay, okay, I'm saying I'm sure he was very nice to them. He loved those damn birds. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> replying that I'm accusing Mike Tyson of being a good guy because I'm not. No, no, no. I'm saying that he also took really poor care of some some of the animals that he. Had. Yeah, and Bryce Mitchell would absolutely be terrible to a tiger, but I believe that he would lovingly take care of like three goats or a dozen chickens. Sure. Okay. That kind of makes sense to me. Cow is 50-50. Cow is 50-50. Cow is 50-50. <laughs> I don't know why, but that does make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that was going to be a super interesting matchup. Yeah. Um, if Loev is extremely good mm. and he needs to be getting bigger and bigger tests, I mean, he really should already be, as that fight I think would have been, he should be fighting for contention. Yeah. Um, he has... Looked pretty unflappable, super well-rounded. Um, yeah, like willing to have tough, scrappy fights, but also always super disciplined and looking for the cleanest path to victory against um, successively harder and harder matchups. Yep. 
and I see absolutely no reason not to pick him here. I don't think stepping into the pocket and brawling has ever been an approach that works well against Devlov. For the on the first, uh, first of all, he has an excellent jab. He is a shockingly good counterpuncher, largely because of that jab. Um, and he's really, really good at sniffing out tiny openings for sudden takedowns in striking exchanges. Yep. Whether he is pressuring or whether the opponent is coming on to him, he is a multifaceted takedown artist who can hit a reactive shot, who can step into a clinch and drag you to the floor. And that's um, just, I think, I have to assume it's way too much for Diego Lopez to handle. Yeah, that all seems very safe to me. Um Short notice, Evil yeah. is not the kind of guy you ever want to be fighting on short notice. Absolutely not. And Lopez has looked, you know, he's got a style that it'll function in the UFC. It'll make him a fun action fighter. Sure. But it's also a style that has regularly struggled on the regional scene as well. Yeah. When he faces actually good, composed, uh, decently high-level opponents. Yeah. And so his love is nothing if not composed. He's one yeah. of those dudes who just has ice in his veins. Yeah. So I, I you just got to pick love here. It feels yeah. like a very kind booking for him. Yeah. If love has had kind of a uh, going back to his pre UFC days, kind of an Arnold Allen upbringing, like it, it, you almost feel better about him. He's gotten better undoubtedly, but he's been in, lots of difficult fights where yeah. things have gone poorly for him early. He's been dropped in the first round in some of his older fights. Um, he, yeah, he's just, he looks like a super experienced fighter that you just, he is convinced he's going to win no matter what happens. Um, in addition to just having a really, really solid, well-rounded MMA game. Unfortunately, we don't have any odds for the fight, so I assume once the odds open, Evil Ed will be a massive favorite. It just got made yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, something like that. I think it was like half an hour before Phil and I started recording Heavy Hands. It was like mm. at you know one thirty p.m. Yeah. Eastern. Yeah, that's right. Because I had to write the the Bryce Mitchell sock story up as a response <laughs> to him getting uh, injured, being pulled from the card. Because it was a much more interesting story to write than Bryce <laughs> Mitchell can't fight at UFC 288. Yeah, Bryce Mitchell. Well, you could write the cow medicine story. Yeah, I'd included that with it. Okay, yeah. great. Great. Yeah. It was really a all th hit all three. Hit him not being on the card. Hit the cow medicine. Hit the, <laughs> the story. You know. Yeah. Provide depth to our comprehensive coverage over here. That's right. That's right. All right, that brings us to a fe another featherweight bout, Cron Gracie versus Charles Jordan. And uh, what a weird uh, thing to see Cron Gracie back. I know. He's An done even longer layoff than Henry Cejudo. Yeah, he's done with his hiatus as a, like, big country, you know, backcountry gamesman and hunter in Montana. Is that or what he's been doing? Or Idaho, yeah. He's been, like, just off, you know, do, going hunting and living in the woods and stuff like that. I was uh, I was theorizing yesterday that he he he's probably, like, trying to uh, to flee the attention of his awful, annoying relatives. I, if, if I were a Gracie, I would probably yeah. go off wandering. Who, the woods who crawled out of the woodwork like lice. 
when he uh, when he lost to Cub Swanson. There's like a bunch of like 78 year old uncles who are like, yeah. he, he should have grappled. Yeah. He's like, shut the hell up. Like, I'm literally the only one of you who actually can still grapple and do all the other stuff, too. I'm the best striker any Gracie's ever been. Mm-hmm. You can't fault me for trying. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would have been super annoyed if I was him. Like, he is he's like the last Gracie who's actually good at jujitsu, even. Yeah. <laughs> right? Who's like, like a, an elite jujitsu competitor. That yeah, might be true. They all I, I don't keep up on on where the Gracies are anymore. Yeah, but Cron, but you know that Cron Gracie is, um, when he was still doing pure grappling, was like a world class competitor. Yeah, it, that just hasn't happened for him since like 2013. So, yeah, so like he slightly postdates Hodger Gracie. Like he's yeah. the last. He's the last one. I don't think there's yeah. any of them out there now. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't know. Shut up, Zane. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Man, okay, shut you're, up. You're right. He's the only good Gracie left, Connor. Does that help you? Thank you. Okay. Okay. You sticking up for Henzo over here? Come on. No, I don't I don't know who all the Gracie kids are. There might be some like they you know, they married in and enriched the bloodline to to bring in a new fighter that actually has talent. I don't well, know. Well, uh, Henner or the other one, I can't remember which of those two brothers is which, uh, they, they've been teaching uh, jujitsu to uh, Ryan Garcia. Oh, well, there you go. That, so that, so that was their fault. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, that, expl- that explains Gr- Ryan Garcia's uh, striking plan against Tank Davis. <laughs> Maybe I'll submit him. He tried. No, he tried the he tried the Gracie stomp. That's why he could never get his foot <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> yeah. So th- thanks a lot, Gracies. Just screw the Gracies, you know. Cron's good though. I like Cron. All right. So the the question then becomes: Are you picking him to beat Charles Jordan? Um. Uh. You know, I do think this is. I have no idea where where Cron Gracie is at. Yeah. Um, I did think he was shockingly good at MMA mm-hmm. when he was doing it. I mean, it's not like he got completely blown out of the water by Cub Swanson. No, it w- in fact, it, w- it was one of those fights where I would, you know, people were like, oh, Cub, Cub outclassed him and all that. Maybe that was a different way. I was like, yeah, he did. But at the same time, too, like, he also got hit a whole lot, like, yeah. by, just in absolute walk forward leaf blower mode. Yeah. Cron Gracie showed um, serious toughness, like a great chin, and he just didn't give a shit about it getting hit and about getting into these tough exchanges. And um, other than that, he's he's looked like, yeah, like kind of a natural when it comes to MMA. Mm-hmm. And Charles Jordan does love to get taken down in the first round. I mean, that Absolutely is the real concern. Loves it. The fact that Shane Burgos, of all people, um, out-wrestled him. Out wrestled him. That I mean, yeah, it was like embarrassing for Shane that he resorted to a wrestling game plan because he was just getting cooked on the feet. Yeah, but um, he did get him down and got to his back very quickly in the first round. That's the concern, really, for me, mm-hmm. because after that, we know that Jordan gets better defensively. He gets more potent offensively. He just warms up and gets into a seriously scary flow the longer the fight goes on. He's got more single strike power, I would say, than Cub Swanson. Yes, and and I think he's at this point just a younger, faster fighter, um, whose boxing is a little more fluid than Cub's. Yeah, 
Um, the, the work again, after that first round against Burgos by round three, he was crushing him on the feet, mm-hmm. which nobody has done that to Shane Burgos. Even people who have outstruck him have not just been like standing in range, just lighting him up with jabs and hitting him with uppercuts and finding every possible way around his defense and turning every desperate takedown attempt into a brutally uncomfortable clinch exchange. Um, Jordan is a very good striker who can stop takedowns after the first round. So I'm going to pick him. I mean, I think this is kind of a very much a two true outcome fight. It's basically, is Kron going to get to his back? And if so, is he going to submit him? If Charles can avoid that or if he can survive, just use the factor of the MMA gloves to stop the choke actually being locked in, then he's going to um, he's going to have a fantastic round two and three. It's going to be harder and harder for Kron to get to any grappling positions, and he's going to be eating more and more shots. But it is a genuine scare. Like, Jordan gets oh, yeah. taken down in the first round against a lot of people. Yeah, and he did get darsed by Julian Arosa. Yeah, granted, so, that was in the third round in a classic third round, and, Julian yeah. Arosa brawl. Yeah, we don't expect... Uh, yeah. Kron to be there in submission, dominant submission position in round three. No, Erosa, the exact opposite of the guy who Jordan would beat because yeah. he doesn't knock anyone out in the first round, and that's when you have to knock Julian out. Yep. Ah, uh, yeah. This is. I I think this is a, t- a point where there are enough X factors about what the hell Kron's been up to that I will just side with. Picking Jordan here, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, you know Jordan not being the hottest starter out there. It is if if Kron goes out there and, and taps him out in the first round, I, that'll be zero surprise. Yeah. So it really is just one of those things that Jordan is very. You know, his game has always been about leaping through distance, about wanting to jump from being way outside where he does a little to being all the way in the pocket where he does a lot. And that transition has often come through like things like jump knees and, you know, lunging uppercuts and other wild strikes like that, where he gets picked out. Like you can just pick him out of the air. Yeah. Dan is not, he's not a true slow starter. No. He's he's one of these guys who has to have his worst impulses beaten out of him. Yeah, exactly. He has to be like made to focus and get serious and get into a flow by pressure. And he creates that pressure, Carlos Condit style, yeah. by just flinging the kitchen sink at the opponent early and getting yeah. punished for it. And so that will, you know, that will likely lead leave him especially open to that early takedown. And... Kron is a, a fantastic grappler when he gets those kinds of positions. So, yep. I'm just, I don't, you know, three years, four years, four where, years, yeah, four years where it's not even clear how much he was training. I'm, I just got to go with Jordan here. Yep. Me too. Kind of uh, a surprisingly cool matchup, though. Yeah. Jordan is the favorite, opened at minus 263, is currently minus 173. Gracie opened at plus 211, is currently down at plus 148. 
All right, thanks everyone. Uh, stay tuned for those of you who are supporting our Substack and we'll be right back with some bonus content for you. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Music B, RSS Radio, IMDB, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, Podcruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, The Sixth Round Retro, The Show Money Podcast, The MMA Depressed Us, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, and The Return of the MMA Bunker.